What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Instead of interviewing a guest, I'm going to do it solo, and I'll talk through a few of the most important topics in sports business today, including Netflix's approach to live sports, and how Formula One has built such a strong business so quickly in North America. I really enjoyed recording this, and I hope that you enjoy the format. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe. J-O-E at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, yet still more than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot, but now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have ever before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro covered by Eight Sleep is so popular that it has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers such as Olympic gold medalist Red Gerard, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Medoros, and UFC heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. They're all powered by 8sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery. Remember, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. So go to 8sleep.com slash Joe to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. 8sleep ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. Next up is FTX. I'm sure you've heard of them by now, whether it's because of their partnerships with the Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, the MLB, or Formula One. Whatever it may be, it's obvious that FTX is dominating the crypto conversation in sports. FTX US is a safe, 
regulated way to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Plus, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than any other exchange on the market. You can even buy NFTs on the FTX app from top ETH and Solana collections without getting hit with fees. Simply put, FTX gets it, and they want to make crypto exposure accessible, easy, and secure. Download the FTX app on your smartphone today and use code JOEPOMP, J-O-E-P-O-M-P, for a discount on trading fees and start building your portfolio in less than three minutes. It's literally that easy. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. There's no guests. There's going to be no interview. Instead, I'm going to go solo. And I'm just going to talk about a couple of current events that are happening right now. And my hope is that you enjoy it. And maybe you might even learn something. So let's start with Netflix to kick us off. Netflix has been in the news a lot recently. You've probably seen some memes on Twitter. You've certainly seen their stock price probably come up in the news recently. But the TLDR, the summary on this is that they had a really bad quarter last quarter. Most analysts expected them to report a net increase in subs. I believe the estimate was around 2 million or 2.2 million. And they actually ended up losing net 200,000 subscribers, right? So analysts expected them to gain over 2 million and they ended up reporting a loss of 200K. So really bad quarter, even from like a revenue perspective and everything else, it was, it was way off target and their stock got crushed. So they lost over $50 billion of market cap in 24 hours. The stock is now down 70% from its all-time high and it's the worst performing stock in the S&P 500 this year. We're talking about Netflix, right? Global behemoth, the company that has led the revolution from a streaming perspective, and one of the darlings, right? One of the one of the fangs that has really paved the way over the last decade from a equity perspective. They got absolutely crushed. The stock was trading around seven hundred dollars in November, and it's down under two hundred dollars today. So absolutely crushed, down seventy percent, which is really bad. And people are freaking out. So what we saw from Wall Street was what you would expect. At least nine firms have downgraded the stock already. And Netflix itself is freaking out also. They've canceled some animated shows. They've paused development on new shows. And they've even been laying off some people, including firing some executives. So there's a few different reasons, I think, to touch on first as to why this may be happening. I'm not an equity analyst. I don't look at Netflix stock or kind of the underlying fundamentals of their business for a living. So these are just kind of high level and, and really overgeneralized just to give you an idea of kind of why people are punishing their equity. And really it's due to three things. So first I think is obvious, there's increased streaming competition. So for so many years, Netflix led the way and had a high barrier of entry. Content was super expensive and they really benefited from that. They've, they've built up a moat now of hundreds of millions of subscribers that everyone believed was really difficult to beat. They just had such a big head start where if you can continue to compound that business year over year, the goal is that no one else can catch you. That's obviously proven not to be true with just the increase in number of competitors over the last few years. So I think that's certainly one thing. There's just more competition now. Number two, the pandemic is ending, right? They benefited tremendously from people staying at home. People were signing up for their accounts. People were watching more hours of their content than ever before. And they were probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of people staying at home for so long. You can put them right up there with Zoom or any of the other companies that locked people in to kind of the new digital age from their house during the pandemic. 
a beneficiary of that stay-at-home kind of lockdown measurement during COVID-19. And then lastly, a new study came out, and they actually reported this themselves, I think, that they believe 100 million households share passwords with their family and friends. So 100 million households do not pay for Netflix right now, right? So they have a subscriber base, and I know people that do this. I'm sure you guys know people that do this also. What they do is you get a Netflix account, and you essentially use your password, and you're able to add people to the account or people log into your account when you're not using it. And they believe 100 million people. And for context, that's like one out of every three users currently on Netflix doesn't pay for the service. So that's obviously a problem, and it's something that they've said they're going to address. They want to crack down on password sharing, et cetera, or maybe give additional tiers of pricing where you can add more people, right? So if you think about streaming services or, or subscription services in general, Spotify is probably a good example. They either have solo accounts, you can do like a duo account where there's two people on an account, or maybe you do a family plan where there's multiple people. Netflix is either going to implement something like that or at least crack down on kind of some of the password stuff. That's to the best of my knowledge. I don't have any kind of inside information or anything like that, but that's my understanding. So I think when you combine those three things, it makes a lot of sense why the business underperformed relative to expectations and why they might've gotten crushed. So, you know, you can talk to equity analysts and they'll say, hey, you know, maybe the price of earnings is in a good spot right now and it's probably a buy. I don't know, right? That's not for me to determine that's up to someone else. But what I do know is that they're facing some pretty strong headwinds due to their business model and they probably need to shake some things up, right? And one of the things that people have thought about for years, obviously there's there's kind of the model where they should add ads and they fought that for decades now at this point and said that they're never going to do it. And maybe some of that has changed recently, but ultimately number two is live sports. People have been saying this for a long period of time. Many equity analysts, many people in general in the industry have said that Netflix should add live sports to their offering because it's premium. It gives them a, an advantage relative to other competitors. And this question was brought up again on the earnings call because of their poor results. And Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos said to Deadline, I'm not saying that we'll never do sports, but we'll have to see a path to growing a big revenue stream and a great profit stream with it, right? So essentially saying, hey, look, I'm not going to shut it down completely, but probably not going to happen anytime soon, I think was the general takeaway from his comments. And again, this is kind of how they've, they've situated and thought about this for a long period of time. And I think it's upset some more people that are, that are interested in the business and have been backing the business for a long period of time, because at this point, they're kind of being stubborn, right? And I think the writing is on the wall from a competition standpoint where all this is headed. And I'll give you my thoughts, right? And you guys can kind of think about it yourselves and, and break it down in a first principles perspective and, and take it what you will. But ultimately, in my mind, a lot of this streaming is going to turn out to be a 360 offering, right? So you're going to have everything that the cable TV bundle had. So cable TV was great because of the optionality for sure. It became too expensive relative to the quality of the content you were getting. But now Netflix is out here. They're spending $20 million, $30 million per episode for their most popular shows. They're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars. I think they spent over $15 billion last year on content development, right? So it's a massive business from a content perspective. And what do we know? The one thing people always forget is that live sports in particular, and even you can think about cable news or primetime news or breaking news, are the only things that held the cable bundle together for this long, right? We've seen the decline from, I think it was like 100 million or 110 million cable subscribers in kind of the 2010s. Now we're closer to 50 or 60 million. And the only thing holding that number up still high is obviously an older generation, but it's, it's live sports and it's cable news. So for example, the data shows that 95 out of the top 100 
cable TV broadcast last year in the United States. So the top 100 most watched US TV broadcast of 2021, 95 out of the top 100 were live sporting events. 95 out of the top 100. And the only ones outside of that were the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Oprah Special, a 60 Minutes, and a political programming for the election, right? The presidential election was one of the other top five. So essentially everything on US broadcast today, the most viewed things are all live sports. That's what people want. That's why they're paying for cable. And when you think about Netflix, their competitors are already doing this to some degree. Apple TV, they just did a deal with MLB, right? HBO certainly has an offering already. And there's plenty others at this point. Peacock did the deal with WWE. Amazon Prime did a deal with the NFL. They're paying them a billion dollars a year. They have MLB games with the New York Yankees and so forth. So my point is that all of these streaming competitors that are going against Netflix and trying to take their lunch money are already going at this from that perspective. They're doing the the live sports. They're doing the news. They're doing entertainment. They're doing exclusive production content, studio films. They're offering this 360-degree view that Netflix has failed to offer. And the part that I think is the most frustrating about Netflix is that they're in an extremely unique position because they already do some of this very well. So the example I always use is Formula One Drive to Survive. And this will lead us kind of into our next topic also, but Netflix has done an incredible job with Formula One Drive to Survive. They've done four or five seasons, I think, at this point. And you could argue that Liberty Media and Formula One should be paying Netflix for the content, not the other way around. If you think about their business in particular, it's grown tremendously in North America, the most important market in the world for global sports organizations from a monetization perspective. They have benefited tremendously from their partnership with Netflix. And sure, Netflix has, has probably benefited too from an economic perspective, but not nearly to the degree that Formula One as an entity has benefited just from increased fandom and, and everything that goes along with it. So they already have that in their platform today. Hundreds of millions of people have watched that content. They love that content. They've made money from that content. So you could quickly see the extension of that, right? If you think about the US broadcast rights for Formula One specifically, they're very cheap. Literally, Formula One gave the U.S. broadcast rights to ESPN a few years ago, let them broadcast it for free to grow the sport. And then they came back in 2019 and did a three-year deal worth, I believe, $15 million. So about $5 million a year ESPN is paying Formula One. That's absolutely nothing, right, compared to what some of these other leagues are paying. Amazon's paying a billion dollars a year for Thursday night football, right? Completely different perspectives, completely different valuations, completely different audiences, completely different demographics. I get all of that. But $5 million a year is extremely, extremely low. Now, there's reports that when this deal is up this year, Formula One wants to get $75 million a year. They've publicly floated that in the media, right, through sources. So maybe it goes at 40, maybe it goes at 50, maybe it does get 75 million. I don't know. I think that's probably a little high relative to where they are as a sport in North America. But ultimately, that's a drop in the bucket for Netflix, right? And you could argue that there's a few reasons why they wouldn't do this. I think people often forget that the technology required to live stream sports is not the same as non-live streaming, right? So if you look at Netflix, they do what they do really well today. But when you venture outside of that and you start live streaming all of these things, it becomes more complex, it becomes less reliable, and your customers can get frustrated if the tech stack fails. So I think that's certainly a part of it. But I would still argue that they're in a prime position to add this, right? If you think about $5 million a year, what they could have been paying for the last three years, coupled 
with their content distribution of Drive to Survive, it would have been a no-brainer. They literally would have made that back almost instantly from a sign-up perspective alone. And I think what we're going to see is in the United States specifically, Formula One is going to continue to grow. The TV numbers tell us this, right? So I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Each Grand Prix averaged about 400K viewers in 2016. This year, we're up close to a million viewers, right? So it's over doubled over the last five or six years alone. And it's been steady. But over the last two years, really, we've seen a massive jump. So we went from 516K average viewers per Grand Prix in 2020 to nearly a million today. So literally, it almost doubled in two years. And what I think is we're going to continue to see that grow. Formula One is literally built for this, for the United States market. And it's a shocking development that it probably took this long. But now we have a capable owner in Liberty Media who has done all the right things when it comes to growing the sport internationally. And we have all these new races. They're coming to Miami this week specifically. And I think we're going to continue to see this to grow. And you look at Netflix and you say, hey, you obviously know Formula One Drivers Survive work from a content perspective. You're adding the PJ Tour. You're adding a series with the Tour de France. You're adding the ATP Tour. You're adding the WTA Tour. Why wouldn't you expand it to live rights? So again, I think that there's an argument to be made probably on both sides. I think they would argue that there's probably not as clear of a path to profitability as some might argue. But at the end of the day, it almost seems like a no-brainer, right? Which probably is something to be scared of. But ultimately, that's where all of the competitors are going. We know how important live sports are to the cable bundle today. And as we see that market continue to shrink and people add their subscription and their streaming services, they're going to demand that. They're going to say, we need this, right? And if you're Netflix and you're sitting there with just this premium content that's all studio films and kind of exclusive content and shows, you're missing out on a massive chunk of the market. And people are ultimately going to leave to go to Amazon Prime Video. They're going to leave to go to HBO. They're going to leave to go to Apple TV. They're going to leave to go to Hulu, right? All these places that end up getting these exclusive deals with the providers, with the major sports leagues, they're going to be massive beneficiaries of this purge of subscribers that Netflix is ultimately going to see, in my opinion. And look, we'll see how it plays out. But the reason why I'm so excited about Formula One for them is because they already have that partnership. And I also think that they're going to see tremendous upside from a league perspective and kind of catch that wave, if you want to call it that, that Formula One is seeing in the United States. And look, I specifically and other people have been talking about Formula One for at least a couple of years now and the growth and how tremendous it's been. But I don't think we're anywhere close to what it could be, right? If you think about Formula One in general, and again, this will lead us into the next topic about the race in Miami this week. This is a massive business. Formula One, I think last year averaged over 90 million viewers per race. And for context, the Super Bowl has about 100 million viewers. That's kind of the plus or minus each year for the Super Bowl. So it's essentially a Super Bowl for 20 to 25 weekends per year globally, right? So it's a global sport. It's an expensive sport, so on and so on. And I think for the United States, we're at just under a million average viewers per race right now. The United States is the most lucrative market in the world from a professional sports standpoint. If you think about Formula One, if you think about the Premier League, all of those teams have way more fans than the NFL, than the NBA, than any of the domestic sports leagues here in North America. But our leagues here in North America, speaking, are able to monetize fans to a much greater degree, right? So I'm completely making up these numbers, but the way to think about it is if the NFL has 10 fans and Formula One has 10 fans, the NFL is able to make about $4 per fan, and maybe Formula One's only able to make $1 or $2 per fan, right? So from a monetization standpoint, it's completely different per sports league because the North American market is so lucrative. 
And I think that's why we've seen Formula One aggressively expand into this market over the last two years. And what I mean by that is the race in Miami this week is going to be one of the largest sporting events in the country this year. And it's Formula One, right? When people think of large sporting events in North America, they think of the Super Bowl, they think of the NFL playoffs for sure, maybe the NBA finals, and a few other kind of ancillary one-off events. Formula One this week is going to be massive. We were talking about it on YouTube yesterday, but there's going to be stars there. LeBron James is supposedly going to the race. David Beckham, Venus, and Serena Williams are going to the race. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, all these people are going to the race because of the, the significance that it has in culture today. And then if you think about an average fan, the cheapest ticket to get in on Sunday right now to have a seat, to have a seat in the grandstands is like $1,000. That's absolutely absurd. The average ticket for the Super Bowl last year was like $2,500 or $2,800. So we're approaching those ticket prices because if you think about the paddock club, which is premium seating above the pit lane in, in Formula One, for those that aren't familiar with it, you get food and drinks, and you get to walk the pit lane, and, and it's basically the top tier, the best seating you can get. Those tickets are going for like $15,000 right now. The yachts, they installed these yachts in the fake marina in Miami because the hospitality is just insane this week. And those tickets are going for 12K, 15K each. And what we're seeing is this premium demand for the sport because of the lucrative fan base. And I think that's exactly why Formula One has now said we're adding a third race, right? So they didn't actually have a race in the United States from 2008 to 2011, I believe those were the years. And they came back and they went to Austin, Texas, and they had the US Grand Prix. Now, they've done that for almost a decade, and now they're adding Miami. This is the first year. Miami's on a 10-year deal, so they'll race in Miami for the next 10 years. And then they just added another race in the United States, in Las Vegas, on the Strip at night for next year, starting in 2023. So the United States will now have three races starting next year, and that's more than any other country in the world, right? So when you think about a predominantly European-based sport or a sport that has catered to that market traditionally, it's expanded tremendously over the last two to three years here in North America alone. And there are many reasons for this. We could probably do an entire podcast episode on a deep dive of what Liberty Media has done in general. But I think at a super high level, the easiest way to think about it is that Formula One was in a pretty bad spot maybe five or six years ago. Bernie Eccleston was running the show. He just wasn't doing a great job, to be candidly honest. He, he didn't really care about the younger fan base. He wasn't maximizing the profitability of the sport. He wasn't maximizing the revenue. And there's a bunch of other things we can get into another time, but ultimately they weren't in the right hands. And Liberty Media came in and bought this asset. I think they paid like 4.5 or $4.7 billion in cash at the time. The enterprise value of the business was maybe over eight or $9 billion given all the debt that they had. But ultimately they came in and they saw this asset that was super under monetized given the, the global fan base that they had and given the passionate fan base that they had of hundreds of millions of people worldwide. And they've taken extreme advantage of that. They have done an incredible job. And it's been due to a variety of things. So the number one thing that they probably did was they allowed teams to post on social media. Literally, when they came in, Liberty Media said, on day one, you guys are going to be allowed to post on social media. You're going to be able to interact with fans, the drivers, and the teams. And that was obviously important because if anyone is in or around Formula One on Twitter today or Instagram or any of these other social platforms, the audience size is massive. And these, these fans are nonstop. They love it. They love engaging with the drivers. They love engaging with the teams. And it's generally a pretty fun atmosphere. So they've embraced that. And I think that's driven a lot of value for them. But ultimately, they've done a few other things, right? Which is they've turned the races into 
these big events. They have concerts now. They have food. They have real premium feel to each of them. It's it's not just a race. It's it's a weekend that surrounds it. And it's there maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right, you're there for multiple days at a time, depending on the race, and it really feels like a full on event, not necessarily a race. They've certainly made it more competitive, right? So last year specifically between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen was one of the most competitive seasons on record. They were just flip-flopping back and forth in the standings quite literally until the last race of the season. So I think that's certainly important. They've, they've done it even further. Now they've changed some of the regulations that hopefully will make it even more competitive going forward. And then lastly, like, yeah, Drivers Arrive has been super important. I think it often gets probably too much credit given what everything else Liberty Media has done for Formula One. But it's been killer here in the United States specifically. During the pandemic, it really hit people worldwide, and it's really attracted a completely new audience. If you think about what happened in Austin, Texas last year, most of the fans, I believe, were first-time fans that, that visited the race. So the race had 400,000 fans in, in total during the weekend, which made it the most popular race in Formula One history. And in 2018, the, the pre-pandemic year, right? So we're not going to count 2019 or 2020. But in 2018, there was only 265,000 fans. So a 51% increase. And it was the largest race in Formula One history. So we've seen a massive, massive, massive advantage when it comes to that. The average age of the fan has gone down tremendously. And we've seen a bunch of other tangential benefits for sure. But I think the one thing to watch here is like, this is a market that's going to continue to grow. Miami is a race to watch this year, given how well received it is supposed to be. People are really expecting it to be a good turnout. It's going to be on ABC. It's not going to be on ESPN2 at 4, 5, or 6 in the morning, right? It's going to be in prime time, 3.30 p.m. on ABC. And there hopefully should be a million to two million people watching it live in action. Hopefully it's a good race. And I think what we're going to find is that Formula One is going to continue to grow here in the United States. There's a reason why it is so massive all around the world, but it was just underutilized and under-monetized from that perspective here in the United States. And Liberty Media deserves a lot of credit for that. But back to my original point, so does Netflix. And I don't think Netflix probably saw nearly as much value in that deal as Formula One. And ultimately, I think Netflix would be smart to not only get into live sports, but to start with Formula One. I think at 40, 50, 60 million dollars a year, the US rights, that would be a no brainer. And they could even add an ad supported premium subscription if they wanted to, or another kind of lower tier subscription. But ultimately, I think that it would be extremely smart for them to start to look outside of just exclusive premium content that they are paying production costs for and look to live sports. We know that that is the most important part of the cable bundle today. And it is quite literally what all of their competitors are building their platforms on and realize Amazon realizes it. Apple TV realizes it. All of these competitors, Hulu, they all realize it. ESPN, they all realize it. Disney, they all realize that live sports are the most important part of the cable bundle. And to me, just my opinion, it feels like Netflix is getting left behind and they are intentionally avoiding one of the most important parts of this market going forward. Again, I'm not an equity analyst. Only time will tell who is right and who is wrong on this. But I think ultimately what we have to look at is how important is sports? And in my mind, it's extremely important for the future of not only cable TV, linear television, but certainly the future of streaming, which is only going to continue to grow. It's only going to continue to get larger. And I think Netflix would be very wise 
to say, hey, we messed this up, but we changed our mind. We're going to start aggressively attacking live sports. And if they do do that, I think Formula One is the right place to start. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.